Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. All right, welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, Powerful Challenge. Jay Billis is wearing a hat because he has no hair. The two guys that are visiting with us, though, they have fine heads of lettuce, and their dad actually has an amazing head of lettuce, which is unbelievable. I mean, perfectly gray, perfectly shaped, but uh, Sean and Archie Miller, uh, coming off a sabbatical year. So here's my first question. How many times did you two guys, because I know when I got whacked, all right, I talk to my brother every day. How many times did you two guys talk the past year, a day? You know, um, I'll, I'll answer that one. Um, you know, I would say we talked pretty much every day. I would say by phone, text, something. Uh, and you you may know this, Seth, but Arch, uh, he moved to Tucson. So uh, this past year, not only were we able to talk, but probably saw each other. I don't know, Arch, what do you think? Once a week, a couple times a week, yeah. spent the holidays, the, you know, you want to go watch a, an NFL game. He came over our house. We went to his house. So um, actually, I think it was good for both of us to, uh, to be living close by and could really talk about everything and anything. How close were you guys growing up when you were in, growing up in Pennsylvania and, uh, both really good basketball players. I'm sure you had some brouhaha's uh, playing one-on-one, but how, how close were you as brothers growing up? You know, it, that's that's probably a little bit the opposite of what most people think. We're 10 years apart. So, you know, when Sean was, you know, 15 to 16, 17, 18 coming up, you know, I was five, six, seven, eight years old. There really wasn't that ability to do that. Um, you know, I would say he was much more of a me watching him uh, growing up, uh, when he went on to pit, I started to get into the junior high and the high school. And then once he got out of pit and, and went into coaching, I started to really get into the, the higher levels of, of, of basketball and whatnot. But, uh, we both grew up under the same tutelage of the same guy. So I think that, uh, you know, Sean probably looked, um, at me from a distance and saw me growing up under our dad. And I kind of looked at him as, as, as a guy who had already done sort of that road. And it was a, it was a hard road, you know, kind of, kind of coming up under our dad, working out, uh, playing the game, traveling. I mean, it was a, it was a full-time, full-time gig growing up. So did you both go to Blackhawk high school? Yes. Mm -hmm. Was there a record that Sean held that you wanted to break really badly? (laughs) At that time, um, Sean had every individual record probably um, not only at the high school, but maybe in the entire uh, Western Pennsylvania state free throw percentage scoring records. Uh, he didn't have the three point line in high school or he would have even scored more, but, uh, um, as an individual player, um, it wasn't close, but as a team, uh, my teams dominated, uh, you know, my dad's program, he maybe gets a little credit for starting at Blackhawk high school as my dad moved there, but my time at Blackhawk High School was right after Dante Calabria's run, and Dante went on to North Carolina, and my dad probably went on a, on a run of about 10 to 15 or 20 years of just unstoppable high school basketball teams. And uh, my teams, um, we won back-to-back state titles. I think we were the first team in uh, big school Pennsylvania at the time um, that won back-to-back maybe since the Midland teams way back in the uh, – I don't even know the 60s or the 70s, but um, our teams were way different than Sean's teams. What I heard there was very lovingly, Archie was about winning and you were about numbers. No question about it. No, Jay, you hit. I was the definition of the real good player on a bad team. I guess that's what he just said there. But I'll tell you this about my dad. Our dad is, and this is really amazing story. He may have gotten bored because he had things really going at Blackhawk. I mean, you know, you have to develop the high school program through elementary, through junior high. And he went on, like Art said, an unprecedented run. And so what he started to do is he started to coach our sister, Lisa, who's the youngest person in our family. And he started to, if you can imagine, so he's coaching the high school team, doing everything he does. And then almost on the side, uh, him and the other gym teacher would coach her started in grade school, middle school. And I don't know, Arch, I mean, they were like a hundred and zero. Yeah. They 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 won more than anybody. They may have won. They may have won from fifth grade girls to like ninth or 10th grade. Like they may have gone like eight years in a row without losing. But what happened was 
because he put so much time in there, then they became high school players. Well, you know, one time I went to Hershey PA to watch Arch in the state championship. And the day before it, Lisa, our youngest sister, she won the state championship. So although my dad wasn't actually the high school coach for the girls team, he set the tone for both programs. So as Arch's teams were winning state championships, he also like developed Lisa's program and Lisa ended up winning. So on one day, I watched Arch and Lisa win a high school state championship in Pennsylvania. And I would say this, it, it probably gives you everything you need to know about just my dad as a coach and his relentless nature in terms of teaching the game. What was the best advice your dad gave you over the last year? Because I, look, I know your dad, he's not short on words now. He's, he, he, he's yeah. going to say exactly how he damn thinks. I mean, your dad was great to me. Obviously, I still remember, Sean, you rolling at the five-star, dribbling two basketballs, Garth losing his mind. Uh, but, like, what was the best advice that he gave you guys, you know, during the course of, like, the last year coming into, obviously, getting the, these new positions? I would say for me, um, you know, my situation, um, you know, finishing up, um, I think for, for me, he was, he was much more take a deep breath. You know, you need a deep breath. You know, you got a long road ahead of you. Um, at the end of the day, get your, get your ducks in a row, get yourself rested up and, um, you know, you'll be back. But I, I think, you know, more importantly, you know, when you talk to him, when you played for my dad, it was a different deal, you know, from playing during the games, the practices, the car rides, everything, was just it was it was so much about you know being a better player and working how hard you have to push yourself and there were some tough conversations the minute that I stopped playing for him he never was that guy again ever like from the time that I entered NC State as a player from the time I left NC State and got into coaching from the time I had kids I got married to, to right now he has never been that guy again like he was never the coach ever again and it was always advice and I think Sean would be probably the first to tell you, like his deal was always about teaching. He would always say, keep teaching, you know, just learn how to learn how to teach better, you know? And he would, I, at one point I was just like, I don't know what he's talking about teaching all the time, but like really <laughs> last year you learn sort of some of the things that you could have done better. And I think part of it was you have to be a better teacher, you know, whether that's you're dealing with your staff, you're dealing with your players, you're dealing with yourself, you have to become a better teacher. And I think, you know, his point was take a deep breath and really like get yourself back in order where you're ready to go and you're ready to teach again. But he was never that coach again. He's always sort of moved away from that. Yeah, I would say the same thing too. Uh, you know, Seth, as relentless as he was uh, as a coach and I was his first project. So he was really relentless with me. Uh, he he really did. He did the second that it ended as a player, he, he became very supportive. And, and I think that anytime that he saw uh, you become emotional and he would see it, he would always go back to the same thing, man, you're, you're going to be fine or, you know, get, get back to just making players better, teach the game, you know, remember why you're doing it. And that's it. I mean, he, as a matter of fact, you would think that he would have spent a ton of time in Arizona because he has the world's worst weather in Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> Why wouldn't you trade the world's worst weather for maybe the world's best weather, especially in the winter in Arizona? But, you know, I found that when when my parents, my mom would come with him, you know, he almost got bored. And, you know, he's 79 years old right now today, Seth. And trust me, he's got more energy every day than Arch and I. It's, it's, it's I don't know. It's hard to describe him what he does. I mean, he has a new new gym in uh, Green Tree in Pittsburgh. And he just loves it, man. He'll work out. If you have a daughter who's in second grade, he will work her out for one hour. Uh, he just, he loves the game. I think like the one person that reminds me of him is Larry Brown. You know, as I've gotten to know him a little bit, it's like there's, there's different levels of love of something. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, our dad, that's, that's certainly who he is. In the last year, you guys uh, did a, a, a fair amount of media stuff and you had a, a great what I, I thought was a great radio show slash podcast on Field of 68. I really enjoyed listening to you guys through that experience of of being, I guess, a card carrying member of the media, at least for a year. Um, one, did you enjoy it? And two, did you learn anything from it? 
I would say um, uh, did enjoy it. Didn't realize uh, on the front end how much I probably would enjoy it. Um, but I think when you want to talk about something, um, you kind of go back to your own nature. You want to be good at it. So you want to prepare for it. You want to study it. You want to watch it. And then when you go and do something, whether it's a podcast or an interview or you're preparing for a live show, you want to know what you're talking about. So I really thought that that engaged me and it really sort of got me going in terms of being able to know what's going on and talk. Um, my appreciation, I think, grew as I saw how hard the people that we worked with worked on it nonstop. I mean, from midnight to two in the morning to six in the morning. I mean, you name the uh, opportunity that we had to be a part of any show or concept or nightly telecast, uh, the amount of work and studying that went in with the group to put the show on gave me a whole new appreciation of like what it takes to be a part of that field. It's not, hey, you just show up at a shoot around and you talk about the game with a couple people. And next thing you know, they do the game and they move on. There is a lot that goes into being successful in that area. It's a hard field. And um, I think when you do open your mouth on television or on a Twitter, like you guys know, and you have an opinion, at that point in time, you move into another field of, you know, you, you want to be right. You want to have facts to be able to back it up because you're going to get challenged. So it was, uh, it was very engaging for me. I mean, I know Sean at the beginning was apprehensive as well. We didn't really know what we were doing, but I thought I had a great time. And I got fan mail. I mean, I, I, since I've been at Rhode Island, I've gotten fan mail from all sort of schools across the country of people who listened that said, hey, really enjoyed the podcast, really enjoyed the show. We got a fan here in Iowa. You know, I was like, OK, great. Uh, but like I just I was taken back by how many people listened and watched. Mostly older ladies, Arch. Yes, definitely. Yeah. All females. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I would say the same thing, you know, Jay and Seth, for me. And, you know, when you have your own team, you're completely caught up in your own world. And in my case, probably too much so. You know, you're on to the next game, the next practice, your own schedule. You're only aware of certain amount of things. If you live in the West, in your best attempt to follow things in the East, it's, it's much more difficult. And all of a sudden to not have any responsibility and then say, okay, we want you to be able to speak on such and such game that happened in the Big East or the ACC and throughout the country. To Arch's point, it really caught me off guard of how difficult it is. I mean, you know, just like there are a couple of times where, you, you, hey, we're going to talk to so-and-so here this evening. And I would find myself saying like, damn, who'd they play? I don't even, I, I, I've lost track, you know? So I think what it really showed me from your guys' perspective is how much work you have to put in to just know the facts and know what you know. And uh, I would say that, I don't know how Arch and I did, but we worked at it. I mean, once we figured out that, uh, you know, we were, we were on call, so to speak, we really tried to, to learn as much about everything that we could. And, and then, so the second part of it is, uh, man, you saw the game from a completely different perspective. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you said, you know, wow, I, I really like what they do as a team, or I, I love the way this coach approaches the media. Uh, and, you know, you, you see things completely different and it, it became very therapeutic for me. And, you know, I remember thinking if I ever got another opportunity that there's so many different things I would like to do. Um, and sometimes, you know, last year also reinforced maybe a few things that you, you still believe in and you believe you did right. So, uh, but that experience was was a great experience. And by the way, if we didn't have that, I, I wouldn't have had anything. I wouldn't. I mean, literally, <laughs> like there were some days I just waited till eight o'clock at night because I had nothing to do, you know, uh, which is a different feeling. Did, did you guys go to a lot of practices during the last year to uh, to watch other coaches and spend some time? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Some coaches say, Hey, I'd love to have a sabbatical where I go learn from other people and see how other people do it. And to your point, Sean, it may spark new ideas. It may reinforce what you've been doing is the right thing. Did you guys, do you guys do any of that? Uh, you know, I think you, you have those grand plans that you want to do that. And then it just becomes difficult with your own schedule. And then it becomes difficult trying to, you know, match it up. Um, 
I did take a trip this October and I spent um, a few days with Nico Medved. Uh, I felt that, you know, Nico has done a great job at Colorado State. I had a lot of respect for him when he was at Furman. Uh, we played there. And uh, so I shot up the Colorado State preseason and watched those guys practice and and studied a little bit about what he was doing uh, there. I really enjoyed that. I think he's a great coach. They got a great program, great team. Um, I knew they were going to have a good season. And then in November, um, took in some games, went to the Maui event in Vegas, bounced from there to see a couple um, other tournaments in Vegas that were there at the same time. There was a lot of different games, but, you know, I think maybe there was one COVID blip there right around December, January. It sort of put a hold on, on sort of the travel, but did most of our work, you know, via synergy, the computer, the phone. Um, but that, that was sort of my deal. Jay, we had each other, you know, so yeah. it's just, you know, you Arch's ideas are different things that he would have taken from Colorado State. What was was really good for both of us, I think, is that, you know, we, we literally could sit at the same table and, and kind of share ideas and perspectives that we gained. Uh, you know, answering the question for me, uh, I talked to a lot of different people. I spent a lot of time with Randy Bennett at St. Mary's. Uh, my son was one of his GAs. And I went up there the most. I, I think he's a heck of a coach. I, I know, you know, Jay and Seth, you guys feel the same way. I mean, I don't know if anybody gets more out of what the resources and the program that that, that they're a part of than, than Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. It's incredible. I mean, but I just, he's a brilliant coach. Learned a lot from him. And then really, uh, you know, when Tommy Lloyd came to Arizona, obviously I watched Arizona a lot because you know, I, I had such a connection to a lot of the players and I've always been a fan of Gonzaga and how they play the game. So I, I was able to watch both of them uh, firsthand, learned a lot. I think, you know, got a lot of different ideas, uh, ironically, just through that change. And then, you know, the last part is uh, for me, Mick Cronin and I became good friends. You know, we probably started off as arch enemies when I was at Xavier and he was at Cincinnati, but it, it's amazing how you, you grow up as you get older. And uh, him and I talked quite a bit during the year. And again, you know, just stealing ideas and listening to him. But uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, I think from that perspective, this year was very beneficial. How about your approach? Like, can you guys look back and say, you know what, I'm back in it. I'm going to enjoy it more. Like, I don't know, Sean, we, we trade text messages and said, hit the road, run it or whatever. I mean, obviously there's a sense of urgency. The first hundred days you want to get and a feeling for exactly, you know, your identity and what your vision is and sell it to everyone and touch everyone. And But will it give you guys a greater appreciation after being away to give, you know, like I, you know, I talked to a lot of young coaches to say, like, you bust to get that head coaching job, take time to enjoy it. Like, well, Arch, I got to tell you, when I talked to Sean back in the day, he'd say, Arch is doing great, but that dude's strung tight now. He's strung tight. I mean, like, will you take the time to, like, say, I'm doing what I love. I got to enjoy it. Yeah, I think my last um, experience, you know, I, you know, 10 years as a head coach, six of them at Dayton, great program, a um, lot of, lot of uh, you know, a lot of pressure. And then obviously going to Indiana, you know. So both places, you know, I felt like on day one I had to, I had to be ready to go. You know, we had to win that win every day, every second, every conversation. Um, you know, this time around, much more calculated, um, much more. And I don't want to say stress free, but I'm not living and dying right now with what's going on around me. I'm much more um, at peace dealing with our current team. I'm much more at peace making the right decisions with my staff. I'm much more at peace in terms of taking time. I think to make the right decisions, because, you know, I think what you find out is you rush, you panic, you make, you make a lot of quick moves early and you got to live with them. And I think sometimes if you just take a little bit more time and breathe, it'll all work itself out, but no question. I'm much more at ease right now, walking in here, doing it the right way, taking the right steps, um, building the right way, enjoying sort of like being back. Um, but more importantly, like, building relationships, you know, got a whole new team, got a whole new staff, got a whole new administration, got a new community to be in. And I think more important than anything, just taking time to get my feet down more so than trying to win that first game here in April, you know, you're trying to be one and zero in April rather than, Hey, we got a lot of other things to do. So I think, 
you know, from an experience standpoint in two places that I've been, um, and especially being a year out, definitely approaching things a much different way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, in my case, uh, and I've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, you know, what, what really broke me, and when I say broke me, just took my joy away. I did it to myself is, you know, I, I've been in five elite eights. You know, the fifth one would be uh, I was an assistant. You guys may remember J.J. Reddick and Duke Thad was the head coach at Xavier. I was his assistant. We lost in a really great game in Atlanta. And that was the first regional final I was a part of. And then, you know, at Xavier, we lost to UCLA. We got all the way to that Elite Eight. And uh, and then we went to three more at Arizona. Um, two of them we lost on the last play of the game. You know, Kemba Walker in UConn, Wisconsin in overtime. I think the score is 52-51 when we had Aaron Gordon. Followed up the next year and uh, got back to the Elite Eight again and had Frank Kaminsky looking right at us and Bo Ryan. And it was just a bad matchup. But so when, when you, in though every one of those years, the first year was easy, but every year from that point on, if you'd say, you know, Sean, you're, you're 33 and four and you lost in the elite eight or you're the next year, we are 34 and three and we lost in the elite eight. The only thing that I saw or felt is that we lost in the elite eight. I literally skipped over any goodness that happened, which is almost impossible, I know, to believe, but it's just, it's what I became. And I was so entrenched on what is it, why can't I, or why can't we get there, that I took my eyes off of the processes that really allowed us to be good in the first place. And you start to think differently and make decisions that otherwise you wouldn't. Uh, in some ways you get mad at the world because, you know, how dare he say, I can't get to a final four. I really started to worry about the wrong things. And, and look, I have three sons this year, Arch heard him say it. They'd be like, man, you're a completely different person. And, and when they would say it to me, I, I, I didn't really understand what they meant, but they would just be like, you, you didn't even talk. And, and I think what they're saying is, you know, when I would come home, I, my mind would be on the job. My mind would be on tomorrow, yeah. what just happened. And, and you know what? Inevitably, that's what did me in. Uh, and look, I'm hell-bent on never going down that path again. Uh, you know, you have to enjoy it. And I missed a lot of things about the game. I'm grateful to have the next opportunity. But I would say more than anything, the last really three years taught me, uh, four years is that right there. And then you know, now it's up to, to me to be able to fix it. And uh, but like Arch, I think I'm very determined to to be different. To me, if I got back into coaching, that first practice after being away from it, I think would be emotional. Just being back in the gym, you know, in just being back in it. I mean, you know, I mean, how, was that an emotional feeling for you guys? I think more, I think, you know, maybe more emotional was my first opportunity to talk to the team. It was like the one thing and probably Sean's longer than me. You guys were probably the same, but like you start playing basketball at six, seven years old, you're a part of a team, you know? And if you're, if you're us, you're part of a team from six years old to 36 years old, whether you're a player, whether you're an assistant coach, whether, whether you're the head coach, you always have a team. And I think this past year, not having a team, not having a group of people that you're with every day going through the same grind was probably the one thing that you look back on and you said, man, I, I didn't realize like it's really, really special to be a part of like teams. You know what I mean? Like when you have your own team, it's one thing, but it's another thing to just be a part of a team of staff, a team of players, you know, a program in general and the relationships that you build over the course of time. And this past year, not having a team was different. And I think walking into the room for the first time and seeing all those kids look at me, not know me, and me saying to myself, deep breath, all right, here we go. You know, this is the first time you're going to have an opportunity to say a few words to these guys. And, and uh, you know, I think over the course of the year, thinking about all the different ways players and all that stuff I had my first opportunity to talk to the group so I would say that was probably the first time I was like wow you know it's it's back 
you know, here it is. Yeah, and I, I would say similar. Uh, you know, one thing that's that's really unique and and honestly just very awesome uh, for me is just you know I'm returning back to a place where I know a lot of people. You know, I've the office I'm in, I was in it before. Um, you know, uh, David West, Romain Sato. You know, those are guys that played for Coach Mata. You know, Thad, but I was on the staff, and then all of the players that I coached during that eight years that I was here the first time, you know, they're, they're all doing different things. And, uh, you know, one of them is on my staff, Dante Jackson, who I recruited and coached. And now he works on the same staff as me. And I think the emotion of it for me is just to be able to not only get another opportunity, Seth, and to get back in it, but to be able to go back to a place that you just, you really love, you know, that you, that you were at before. And, uh, and I think that's the emotion that, that I feel to have a chance to come back here. And the other part of it is when I left, we were in the Atlantic 10 and, you know, now we're in the big East conference and there's just, there's the same challenges that lie ahead. So uh, it's uh, I think from an emotional perspective, it's something you, you no longer take for granted. And same thing with when I was out, the thing that made me feel the best and Archie probably feel the same way is when a player that I coached reached out to me or I watched a player and, you know, just the interaction, I was no longer their coach, but we still have a relationship. And you recognize during that period of time that the thing that means the most is the players that you coach and to get another opportunity, you know, that's always number one on the list. Before we move on, the final episode of man in the arena is here exclusively on ESPN plus which means all episodes are now streaming Man in the Arena, Tom Brady, 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances. Tom Brady, like you've never heard him, featuring Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle Bunchen, Tom Brady Sr., Rob Gronkowski, Michael Strahan, and more. All episodes now streaming on ESPN Plus, presented by Under Armour. Sean, uh, I, I was a part of the Duke Carolina thing as a player and an assistant and uh, and now as a broadcaster. I hear all the time about the intensity of the rivalry. And one of the things I say is it's it's incredibly intense, but it's not more intense than Xavier Cincinnati. I mean, I used to do that game and you needed three Green Berets to officiate it. Can, can you can you describe kind of what that rivalry is like and uh, and the intensity of it? Yeah, I mean, Jay, I, I talked to Mick Cronin. We laughed about it this year. And keep in mind, I had no idea I was going to be the new coach at Xavier, right? So we were just almost like, God, thank God we don't have to deal with that, you know, because <laughs> it is so, so intense. I, You know, it must be like what Michigan and Ohio State football feels like. And I know when I say that, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to react and say, there's no way you can compare Xavier Cincinnati basketball to Michigan and Ohio State football. And my comeback would be, yes, you can. I mean, it yep. is, it's one game. We don't share a conference, but you share a city. We're about five miles apart. And just the history and the tradition is, is uh, it's thick. It, it, it is a game of incredible meaning to both fan bases. And you have to be careful because you can swing right or left as soon as that game ends. And uh, I think the one difference is with, with UC headed towards the Big 12, obviously Xavier in the Big East, you know, what once was in both programs or especially in Xavier's side, it, it no longer exists. There, there also are some other meaningful games on both of our schedules now, but I, don't, I can't at all downplay that. I, I can't say to you I'm going to go about that differently. You know, that's just kind of part of the deal here. And uh, if you look at <laughs> If you look at it any differently, it's not going to work out well. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the biggest rivalry you you've been a part of, Arch? Carolina and, and uh, State is about as good of a rivalry that I've been in with two fan bases. Uh, Tobacco Road, great history uh, as a player, um, being on campus. You know, when you when you're playing Carolina, just that that rivalry. Um, you know, always had the most meaning when, you you know, my wife went to state, she watches the Carolina football game this past year, you know, state Carolina game. She's losing her mind in front of the TV. You know, it's like, you know, um, Xavier Dayton 
as the head coach at Dayton, Dayton Xavier um, was a very, very hard game. I mean, Dayton probably to this day has never had the opportunity to go back into CentOS until Sean maybe schedules them here and gives Dayton another crack at it. They won't be showing up anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you would go into the CentOS Center and um, they have all of the former presidents cutouts of their faces all over the, the, the stands of every president because it was like 45 straight years that Dayton hadn't won a game in, in Cincinnati when they played there. And I, I had my two opportunities there. And I think one of them may have been an overtime. The other one was a gut-wrenching loss. But um, the Xavier game at UD Arena, unbelievable environment to, to be a part of um, as a coach. How about you guys playing each other? Uh, Rhode Island versus uh, the Musketeers. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, I think I think right now we have five players on the roster, so we we have, figure, <laughs> we, we have to figure we have to figure out to get the locker room set in stone. But uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want to play against Sean's teams for a lot of reasons. This day and age, kind of seeing how hard it's been to get to where we are, finally get a chance to kind of get back at it. I don't necessarily know if that's something I would really look forward to doing. I, after I carried him on the podcast all year, uh, you know, I, I, I don't I feel like I can say I'm never playing him. You know, that was my <laughs> that was my that was my last goodwill move right there. You know, yeah. Sean, you've been asked a lot about, uh, you know, when you were a kid, you, you were an amazing ball handler. You were on the Johnny Car the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. But I've not heard you publicly <laughs> talk about your starring role in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Yeah. And uh, uh, which which back in the 70s was a great movie. I mean, I, I watched that thing a thousand times. Moses Guthrie, Julie Servant played Mo- Moses Guthrie. What, what was uh, uh, describe that? What was that like? How did it happen? And and who were the who were the st- who were you starstruck by on the set? Yeah, no, God, that's so long ago now. Now, Jay. But, uh, you know, it was uh, I had the snippet, maybe five seconds uh, in it. Yeah. But ironically, the scene that I was a part of was at Moon High School, home of John Perry. And Steph (laughs) knows it well, right across the street from five star basketball camp. And, you know, literally I was just a local kid. Hey, I heard you could dribble. So be a part of it. But yeah, the fish should say Pittsburgh every once in a while. I'll hear an older player reference it because you're right. In its day, it was kind of like an iconic basketball film with, you know, Dr. J in his prime. But uh, yeah, I, I was a part of it. But, you know, that goes to like your earlier question. And Arch and I growing up in the house that we did when we you know, when he says something like we started playing basketball in third grade or second grade. I mean, we really did start playing. I mean, this wasn't like, a, hey, have fun on a Saturday morning. Uh, we've been on a team and playing since since God. I mean, you know, I'm 53. I can honestly say when I when I was playing at seventh grade, when I was seven years old, I know that it was second grade, like uh it was serious. <laughs> it was, I mean, we were my dad was was we were working and we were on it. You get into junior high, and uh, and you know, I think that's why this year in so many ways was was kind of a much needed break and uh hopefully a, a break that we can all do better moving forward, simply because you know, going back all the way to fish and save Pittsburgh, Jay, I mean, that's, that's when basketball is a real part of what, what, what we did, you know, in a, in a serious way, trust me, a serious way. Did you play other sports growing up? I played baseball, but my dad's rule on baseball was you could play it and that's no problem, but you got to dribble a basketball from our house to the, to the game. No kidding. So I have my glove in my left because, you know, he, his, his carrot always with us is, Nobody from this area becomes a college basketball player, right? No one. Like we had a guy, Brad Davis. Remember Seth? Brad Davis. Yeah, great passer. Maryland back in the day. He'd start naming them Dick DiVenzio. Um, Yeah, and he goes like, look, that's two, three, four. And there's nobody from our area that ever does it. If you really want to do it, you say you want to play college basketball. Yep. This is what you got to do. You you can't play other sports. So, uh he, he kind of brainwashed you uh, that way. And, uh, but it's a lot of love as well. I, I don't want to paint a picture of a negativity with it. You know, the time that he gave Arch and I, like Arch mentioned the car ride. I'm sure you guys are the same way when you were in a car with your, your dad or whoever you're in a car with for two hours, 
There's no cell phone. There's very little radio service. I mean, unless you're just going to sit there and not say a word to each other, you talked. And he, he talked to us constantly, you know, just always talking about different players and just life and just general, generally speaking. I, I oftentimes think about how different today's world is, just that alone. You know, just you're going from, you know, Seth, Beaver Falls to five-star basketball camp. You know, you, you watch Garf and all the things that happened at Robert Morris College. And then on the way home, you know, you're talking about everything that you just saw and you're a young kid and you wonder why you become a coach or love the game. It, it started in a lot of those car rides. Yeah, it's great. I, I got a question. How old were you? That, that day you rolled up to Robert Morris as outside John Jay Center. Art, you were, you were probably just a thought back then. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when, when you when you rolled up doing your little two-ball thing and Garf losing his mind? How old were you? I mean, I was probably like 10 years old. I mean, at 10 years old, just, you know, what had happened is I went everywhere with my dad. At that point, Arch wasn't even born yet. And there was, you know, the goals were always 10 feet. So you couldn't, you couldn't bring them down. So if you're going to work on your game, you just dribbled the basketball. And uh, I mean, Seth, you remember Crazy George, right? Oh, yeah. That's our guy. He was too. He, he, he <laughs> a crazy George shower. He would go around to the camps and he did a ton of like basically like dribbling exhibitions. And uh, my, my dad had a book, Keep the Ball Rolling. And uh, he just used that book as like teaching me how to handle the ball. And, you know, the, obviously the rest is history. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. Arch, did your old man make you dribble the ball to piano lessons or anything? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't agree with a lot of it. He rebelled. So, I, was, I rebelled. Had my dad on here. Arch was a much harder student, more difficult. He, I, I was a lot. I was a lot different. I was a lot different than Sean. Um, but the one thing he figured out with me is that I, I like to shoot, and I wasn't going to be as big as Sean. I was smaller, so his deal with me was, you have to become a lethal shooter, and you you have to be able to get your shot off, and you have to be able to. You have to be just absolutely deadly. He would say it all the time. You have to be a deadly shooter. And uh, what became dribbling to him became shooting to me. And how he did that was we used to have a hoop. We used to have a hoop, three-point line, basically quarter court, um, asphalt back, right in the back of the house. Asphalt, two poles, major hoop. And we would shoot shooting contests every day. You know, whether it was on a whether it was on the old shoot away machine where the ball would have the rack, you know, the, the double rack, one would go to the corner, yeah. one would come out from the top, <laughs> he would be in the left corner. He was younger then, but and we would get into these shooting, shooting, shooting. And it just became the thing that I was much more uh about that than I was dribbling. As Sean would say, I couldn't dribble. You know, I wasn't I couldn't dribble. I, I had no handle, so to speak, but I could shoot. <laughs> And that became the thing that carried me, uh, you know, along the way uh, was the ability to shoot the ball. Jay, a typical Saturday, December, January, February, you, you kind of got the picture of what it would be like in Pittsburgh at that point. You know, this court he's talking about is in our backyard and obviously snow. I'll never forget. It would actually be covering the basket itself. It had snowed so much, you know, just and the court was just completely and, and he would come into the room and you know, like any little kid, you're just watching TV. And uh, I know he was the same with Arch. You're just sitting there on a Saturday. Back then, not a lot of channels. And you're just watching whatever you're watching on, just enjoying your Saturday. And he'd just kind of look at you and say, are you going to go out and shoot? You know? <laughs> and you'd look out there. And, I mean, are you are you like, are you, are you really serious right now? You know, and but it just it kind of looked at you and say, you know, don't tell me you want to get here and you have to go out and shovel it out. And you know what, though? Here's the thing. Then he would come out with you. It wasn't like he sent you out there. He, he'd be out there with you. And I mean, when I say it was cold, sometimes the ball would hurt your hands when he'd snap Put your fingers. Back. Yeah. Blood it blood it blood would blood. hit your hands and and you couldn't use the backboard because it would it would like skid off the backboard because it was icy, you know, but, you know, that, that's kind of how we grew up, man. And I think sometimes when you see Arch and I, people will say, well, why don't you smile? I, I don't, I don't think it's that we don't enjoy what we're doing. I think sometimes you just, when you're wired a certain way, 
and I, Bobby Hurley and I, you know, we, we shared the same state for a while. And some people always say, God, during the game, you know, he, he really can get going. And I always laugh to myself because deep down, I know how he grew up. You know, he, he almost doesn't realize who he becomes because that that's how he's wired from probably the same age as, as Arch and I, and, you know, that's the gift and maybe the curse to some degree growing up that way. Their, their dad, I mean, when I first went to Pitt, he was, um, I tell you guys this all the time. He was unbelievable to me from the five-star thing. Their dad took that AU, AAU program. It was the best coach AAU program in the history of life. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I tell people all the time, two of the best practices I've ever seen. And because you, you brought up, Hurley is Bobby Hurley and your dad running practices, not even close. Two of the best. I, I, I've been every great practice in America since I got whacked. And I can tell you, those two guys taught, like you did, you, that, you, you used the word teacher, taught and coached as well as any practice I've ever seen and got more out of, out of teams than I've ever seen. Your, your dad, I used to love watching that, that old AAU team. Because that thing, I tell you what, that that those teams just played both ends hard, unselfish, screened, cut. I mean, they were something else. And he and, and, and he was no joke. Your dad's still in like ridiculous shape. Yeah, oh, yeah, better he's shape. Like a than stud. Me. Yeah, he's in better shape than I am. No <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, it's embarrassing to think about it, but I mean, if you saw him, he he looks the same today as he did twenty years ago. Yeah. You know, Arch, I, uh, we have a, a, something in common beyond basketball. I, I've got an older brother, seven years older. So when I was a kid, he used to beat the crap out of me. And later on, we became we became best friends. But our relationship morphed into later on now that we're older. Uh, sometimes I actually give him advice. Um, have you ever given Sean any advice uh, how to deal with how much he perspires during a game? We talked about that this past uh, winter. Obviously made, he made a fatal, fatal mistake that, that game in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, in the uh, NCAA tournament. I did. And be, that, that image obviously uh, did him in. Um, but we, we've talked a lot about Tommy John clothing and some things that he can maybe do better moving forward. Yeah, I, I tell you, the gift that COVID gave – yeah, among the many terrible things, the, the gift is the change in dress for coaches. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to taking advantage of that. I'll tell you that. No, no, no blue blazer, red tie, and white shirt? No, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. that. That certainly would be a big win for me to not have to put that on. <laughs> have you guys decided that, like, going forward, you're going, you're going kind of the casual coaching look? Yes. I think, I, I think it's, it's, it's just so much more comfortable. I mean, uh, I never really understood it in the first place, uh, but I will tell you, I don't think a lot of people understand how hot some of those games can get when you're in a suit and a tie. And I mean, I, I remember, you know, between, you know, playing and looking over at Gary Williams on the sideline and, uh, and he was the coach at Maryland and we were playing and I would be like, damn, he is sweating his off over there you know and it's like <laughs> well because it, it's because the arena's got fifty thousand people you're going nuts on the sideline and you're yeah. walking up and down in a suit and you're drenched you know but this day and age i think um you know the one thing if you just watch the nba games right now it's a clean look sharp guys are way more comfortable i know college i know we'll we'll do it here yeah i got a question you talk about xavier i mean like Mick Cronin's the best dressed coach in America. Who would have ever thought that? By default, he's the best dressed by default because nobody <laughs> else is wearing a suit. <laughs> You're yeah, right. When I got, saw, he's got it perfectly yeah. fit. And he buys I mean, it. He buys it at Baby Gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got a, He's got yeah. He's got a, like a freaking tailor. Not the, the red shirt with the, the black shirt. I mean, I mean, look at him. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and it stays buttoned. Yeah. No, uh, you know, when I saw Jay Wright not wear a suit, I was like, that's a sign to the rest of us. Don't don't go down that path again. And then when I saw Mick, you know, I asked him about it one time. And, you know, there's a story behind him wearing a suit that when he got to UCLA pre-COVID, a tailor made him for the first time, I think, 
a number of really high-end suits. And I think there was a certain agreement that he made and almost a feeling of, I don't want to say guilt, but like, it's now my responsibility to wear these suits that, that were provided to me. But man, that's the only other reason I can think of, because uh, I, I can't imagine if you have a choice why you wouldn't want to dress down, even watching the NBA game last night, you see Steve Kerr over there and it's just, he, it's completely different than how it once was. You know, I think it's good for the game. I've been going through uh, some spring cleaning and, uh, and trying to get rid of a lot of stuff. And one of the things that, that I've been dealing with is, is all this kind of memorabilia you have from one, when you're a player, maybe an assistant and all this stuff for me, what, what piece of memorabilia do you have from your, your basketball life that you will not give up? What I've started to do, Jay, I did it this year is because, you know, I, I really was like, I, I don't know when or if the next opportunity is coming my way. I called some of my favorite players and uh, I hate to use that term, but look, you do have favorites. You know, you do have some that, that you I don't want to say think more highly of, but, you know, just maybe impacted the season, the team, you and as a coach in a in a way. And, and I started to collect their jerseys. And, you know, some of them are you know, their last EuroLeague team, you know, some of them are their national team, maybe a couple of them are their college jersey, but I'm collecting them in, uh, and I told my wife, this, this is the one thing that I'm going to always keep, because that what I realized is you could take a lot of things away, but the one thing you can't take away is the impact and the relationship between you and a player you love. Uh, and you love them all to a certain degree, but and then to have their jersey, you know, hanging somewhere in your house or wherever, wherever I end up putting them, you know, I think it's something that certainly will last a lifetime. So and, and the second part of that is nothing else, really, everything else went away. You know, I, 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 I lost track of a lot of the other things, but that's the one thing for me that I have. Hey, Arch, did you notice that uh, that Sean didn't say his game shorts from Pittsburgh? <laughs> he doesn't have the game shorts from Pittsburgh. He has the jersey. I've seen the jersey. I put that one up too, Jay. I, I got my own. <laughs> I impacted myself. <laughs> no doubt. The one thing that's traveled with me forever is my senior night framed jersey. I think that like yeah. I always go back to like at the beginning, you know, sometimes you look back and as time keeps moving, moving forward, you get older. But like playing college basketball, being a player is something that I'll always remember. You know, obviously being a part of, of the ACC and playing at NC State. And um, that night when they handed me that jersey, we played Carolina on senior night. We won. Um, I'll remember that, you know, my time there. And uh, that travels with me everywhere. amongst. How, how many times did how many times did Herb Sendek smile during your four years? A couple of times. He never really smiled. He, he never really smiled at me very often. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was calculating something in his brain because his brain's bigger than all the rest of ours. Oh, you know yeah. what? He's a smart guy. He, he's not only a smart guy, but he's usually always right. Most of the time that, that he says something, he's 90% on. And then, you know, I have a few pictures, um, a few big wins, you know, a few, a few other things that, that go. One picture that's actually traveled, um, with me is, is when I left Arizona, um, we lost in the elite eight to Kemba Walker, a ball did a toilet bowl and it rimmed out for us to be able to go. And it was an unbelievable two year run, but you know, it changed so fast for me because, you know, that game was like on a Saturday and like, I was able to like get the Dayton job in like 72 hours. I left and I never went back, but you know, as time has moved by the one picture that was kind of like sent when, when the season was over was a picture from our Duke game, when we beat Duke in the Sweet 16 out in Anaheim of Derek Williams. And Derek had an incredible dunk in that game, an iconic dunk um, in that game. And he signed it or whatever, maybe for the coaches. And they sent me one out. And he's that, 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 that guy really is one of the reasons I became a head coach. And you kind of like, you kind of look at like, how did you get to where you're at? The players, you know, along the way who have helped you do it. But like Derek Williams, incredible run at Arizona provided an opportunity for me to become a head coach. There's no question about it. There's no doubt about it. And I look at that, that picture of that dunk and I say, guy right there got me a job, you know, I mean, it was amazing. 
That's so true. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, I got a question. Is Dante the guy that made that half court shot against me? He yeah. is. You know, I was going to bring that. I, 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 I remember that. It wasn't a half court shot. It was. It was a three quarter court shot. Thanks. I <laughs> for the win. No, notice notice how Seth. Notice how Seth takes that so personally. It's not he. They, he didn't make it against oh, us. Talking, he made it against me. Oh, wait a second. We talked about that me. all the time. Oh, Jeff well, look, Allen jumping up and down. That was first of fifty wins that game. Yeah. Hey, the players work in both directions. Arch credits Derek Williams for his his uh, great trajectory. Trust me, if that shot hits the front rim, I mean that's the difference. So many times in being in the tournament versus not. I mean, when I say. Jay, I don't know if you ever saw the footage of it. He he oh, caught it on a on a quick inbounds, took one dribble, and I think Seth was walking towards me to shake my hand. <laughs> he kind of looked over his over his left shoulder, and when it went in, I, I believe this. I said this to him. I said, "Man, I'm sorry. Like I I didn't even really know what I don't even know what to say. That the fact it went in, I mean, I guess it happens both ways. But yeah, the Dante, yeah. So we're still together, Seth." Oh, and I, that's good. That that story is as close to, to the game, but we, we were at Duke when, when we lost that half-court shot. Coach Howland was watching the game, and he left a message on my voicemail on my cell phone going, unbelievable, your second time in the Cameron, you won. And then you hear Ann, and the, Ann Howland in the background going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. You hear Ann go, Terry, oh, I, you know how Coach Holland is. I feel so bad. <laughs> hey, we can't appreciate you. Thank you guys enough for doing this. I, I, this was fun. Well, thank this you. We really a lot of fun. Yep. And please tell your pop I say hello. Will do. Will do. Yeah, and let's get this. Uh, let's get this Xavier Rhode Island game scheduled so we can come up and do the game. Well, he's he, he will he, mean he to come up here first, you know. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> hey, he, he, hey, Sean, don't don't give me that two for one stuff either. Now, <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. You know, Arch, I'm looking at you. My final comment is: you need to get out there in the sun. And then I figured, like, there's probably not a lot of sun in Rhode Island. You know, you you didn't look this this pale uh, two months ago when you were out here in Arizona. <laughs> You need to you need to, you need to find that sun, man. Listen, listen. I'm in I'm in I live in Newport, Rhode Island. And Jay and Seth, if you guys ever want to come up and get some unbelievable seafood, hang out right there on the beach. We'll put you up. Uh, Sean could do the same. You're going to be right on the Ohio River. You're going to be on the Kentucky side of the Ohio River. Talking about the sun, I mean, you understand like the place that I live compared to where he lives. It's it. I've I've completely up, I've upgraded at such an extreme level compared to what he did. It's not even funny. Uh, I don't know about that. We'll hey, see. Not to mention, <laughs> and plus, you don't have to eat that chili. You don't have to eat that chili on top. Yeah, of I mean, just the, just the fact, just the fact of what he has to eat every day there compared to what I have to eat. The best. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, thank you guys. Thank you, Sean Arch. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the summer.